Hello, and welcome to Just Therapist Things, where we talk all things therapy. My name is Jordan, and I am an associate marriage and family therapist from Southern California. I currently work in a private practice where we focus on child anxiety reduction, and I also do some work for a nonprofit cancer support organization. Today, I will be talking about post-therapy grad school and associate marriage and family therapist life. Where do I go from here? Congratulations, you have graduated from your grad program or you're looking towards graduation. I'm sure it has been challenging and rewarding and all of the emotions Therapy graduate programs are intense. When you are looking towards graduation, it is hard to know where to begin. You may be wondering, where do I even start looking for jobs? How do I apply for my AMFT number? What is the law and ethics exam? Here, I will answer all those questions and more. First off, the law and ethics exam. And I will be discussing the law and ethics exam in terms of the California requirements. So this exam is a 75 question, 90 minute exam, and you get your results immediately, which is great. It is also pass fail. So you either pass or you fail and that is it. And when you are in grad school, your grad program should direct you to the DCA Breeze online services to get situated with the law and ethics exam. But if your grad school does not direct you towards that, then I'm sure there's someone you could ask or you could do some research yourself. But it is usually with the Breeze online services, which is how you register for the exam. This exam needs to be taken within your first year as an AMFT or your first year post-grad school. And it is really not that hard. It just takes some reviewing of notes. So I would say to take the law and ethics exam as soon as you can, especially while grad school is fresh on your mind, and it is great to get it out of the way before your job picks up. Look at your notes from your grad school classes that discussed crisis situations, specific orientations and interventions, law versus ethics situations, and diagnoses. If you, for some reason, do not pass the law and ethics exam, that is completely okay. You may apply for re-examination immediately. However, you may not retake the exam until a minimum of 90 days has passed from the last date that you took the exam. And again, you need a passing law and ethics exam score to be an AMFT. I would also say to apply for your AMFT number as soon as you graduate. You do need a confirmation of graduation in order to apply for this number. So you cannot apply before you graduate, but you can apply right when you graduate. I would especially say to apply for your number as soon as you can if you want to start working right away and if you plan to take the law and ethics exam right away. If you don't plan on starting work right away, then you can be more lax about applying for your AMFT number. And there is no shame in taking time off. 
Grad school, as I said, is very intense and a lot of people do need a break after grad school before working. That is completely, completely okay and it will not affect your ability to get hours quickly or in the time that you would like to get your hours. I personally wanted to start working as soon as possible due to finances. So I did apply for my AMFT number, I think truly the day after graduation and applied to take my lawn ethics exam as well. I also wanted to do this because I did want to get all my hours as soon as possible and be licensed as soon as possible. And at this point that you are listening to this podcast, that I am creating this podcast, I am still not licensed. And honestly, I thought that I would be licensed by now. But life happens and I am completely fine that I am not licensed at this point. I am very, very close to completing my hours and I'm starting to study for licensure, but it is completely okay that I am not licensed when I thought it would be at this point. So do not put too much pressure on yourself. You will get your hours. I started looking for jobs probably in March of my final semester of grad school, and I did a lot of interviews, did a lot of research, networked with a lot of people, and I secured a job approximately a month before graduation. So this was really exciting for me because I got to connect with other people at the practice where I was working, and I felt lower stress knowing where I was going to be and where I was going to be working post-graduation. So the planner that I am, I could start planning early. And again, this is just how I did it. This is not how everyone does it. And you do what you need to do for yourself and for your life. Everybody has their own process. And although there is pressure in grad school looking towards graduation and everyone's trying to figure out, oh, where are we going to work? What are we going to do? Where are we going to live? It is okay if you take your time. That is completely all right. So Accept your process and stick to your process and know that you are doing what is best for you. When you are looking for a job as an AMFT, there are truly so many options. You can connect with alumni or professors from your graduate program who have experience in the setting that you may be interested in. My grad program did a great job at having alumni come and speak to us about their experiences And if your program does not do that, you may have to seek it out. But don't worry, you will find it. And you will find people who can help you get more information about different job settings. I do know more about private practice. So I will be speaking more in detail on private practice jobs. However, you can find incredible jobs in government, agencies, nonprofits, and schools. These jobs are typically more of a regular nine to five full-time schedule and they're often lower pay. A huge benefit to these jobs is that you likely will get benefits such as health insurance coverage and or a 401k. I am working part-time at a nonprofit, so I unfortunately do not get insurance benefits with part-time, but I do get the benefit of being part of their 401k plan as well as the benefit of the community-oriented experience of working for a nonprofit. 
Working in private practice, you typically have a more flexible schedule because you can schedule your own clients pretty much. It is not usually a strict nine to five structure, but you can make it that way if you want. It is also up to you and your employer if you want to work part-time or full-time. It's important to note that with private practice, you may be working non-typical hours depending on the population. For example, the practice that I currently work for focuses on children. So I see children during after-school times, which is approximately 3 p.m. to 8 p.m., give or take. And then I do see adult clients and do work with support groups in the morning and afternoon times. While looking for a private practice, I have narrowed it down to five important factors to look for. These are not in order of importance as that will vary from person to person, but I will give more detail on each of these key considerations. The five factors are location, population, finances slash pay, practice information, and logistics. Let's talk about location. Location was personally very important to me as I did not want to sit in Los Angeles traffic to and from my way to work. I actively looked for jobs that were close to home because traffic honestly makes me pretty anxious and I did not want to factor that into my day. So I have a commute that is less than 30 minutes from my home and this helps me to make the most out of my day in terms of work, rest, and other obligations. This, of course, is not always possible for everyone, and it is definitely a privilege and a luxury. However, this is something that I personally prioritized. Something else that I prioritized in relation to location is the safety of the office location. So if you are going into the office, make sure that it is a place that you feel comfortable and safe to go to. Something that is not truly necessary but may be important for you to consider is if your office is close to grocery stores or restaurants where you can get lunch or potentially run errands during the day. An aspect of the office where I work that I really love is that we are across from a major mall. I love how there are awesome restaurants right across the street, but this also provides me ample opportunities for creativity with clients. When I do exposure therapy for OCD and social anxiety and sensory issues, we get creative and we utilize having them all right across the street. Next up is population. What population do you and do you not want to work with? Do you want to challenge yourself working with a new population? Do you want to stick with what you enjoy and what is familiar? Do you want somewhere where you can diversify the clientele? Do you want a specific clientele? Do you want a place where you can knock out all child and family hours? Everyone has a preference and this is completely okay. Your preference for what population you are drawn to may be based on past clinical experience, personal experiences, and just who you are as a person. For your first job out of grad school, you can challenge yourself and work with a new population, or you can find a job in the population you are most passionate about. Something to consider when looking for jobs is that as MFTs, we do need 500 child and family hours in order to get licensed. 
I personally love working with kids and I thought it would be great to work with children right out of school so I could knock out my child and family hours while also gaining more experience with kids. Throughout grad school, you may have gotten a feel for what populations you like working with and which you do not. So it is really up to you what you decide to do for your first job post-grad school. It is not likely that your first job will be your dream job, but instead think of it as your first experience in the working therapy world, and you will learn and grow and gain incredible real-life experience. Know that even if you find yourself working with a population that is not your ideal setting, you will learn so much and it will give you more insight into what your ideal population is. Thinking of where you want to work and who you want to work with is of course influenced as well by your practicum experience. I did my practicum experience working with those impacted by cancer. And while I knew at graduation that this is the population I wanted to work with for my career, I also wanted experience working with children and families. This is why I looked specifically for a practice that focuses on children. I am grateful that this is the path I chose because I got done with my 500 child and family hours so quickly, and I have also gained so much experience working with children and families and honed my skills working with child anxiety disorders. Next, let's discuss finances and pay. First off, know your worth. You are a trained professional, even right out of school, and you deserve to be paid and paid well for the work that you do. This is something that was hard for me to wrap my head around as I had major imposter syndrome when I started out at my first job post-grad school. I felt that I was so new in this field, so did I really know what I was doing? The answer is yes, you do. I will have a full episode on imposter syndrome soon, but for right now, just remember to know your worth. We do not come into this field for the money, but we do have the right to make enough money to be able to support ourselves. We are professionals, even right out of grad school. When looking for practices to work at, consider the average cost per session, so what the clients are going to be paying. Are session costs on the lower end and so will you need to work more in order to support yourself? Or are the session costs on the higher end so you may have more flexibility? Consider the percentage split as well. Typically when therapists or psychologists take on associates, there will be a percentage split so they can use some of your earnings for practice expenses. This split can be 50-50, 60-40, 40-60, or something else. This is typically up to the owner of the practice and just what they think is best for the practice or what they have been doing already, but sometimes it can be a point of discussion. Another financial situation to think about is if you get paid or if you have to pay for supervision yourself. At nonprofits or agencies, you may actually get paid during your supervision time. This does not seem as typical in private practice. Sometimes people may also have to pay for an outside supervisor if there is no one in the practice who is certified to supervise. Also see if there are any benefits available for you in the practice, such as health insurance or a 401k, and ask if you need to work a certain amount of hours per week in order to get these benefits. Some practices may require you to work a minimum number of hours per week 
So factor that in as well. Other expenses to consider include if there is free parking at the office or if you need to pay for parking and if you need to buy your own office supplies or get refunded, among other expenses that may be present. The next key factor is practice information. So get some information on the practice itself in order to make a decision on what is best for you. First, look at the practice history. How long has the practice been in business? Is it new? Is there an opportunity for growth there? Is it a well-established practice and has lots of connections already? Either option can be great, but it is really just up to the individual and what you prefer in your first job post-grad school. Is the practice a group practice or solo practice? By group practice, I mean that there are multiple clinicians in the practice. And by solo practice, I mean that it would just be you and one other clinician, probably your supervisor. It was important for me to have lots of colleagues, especially at the beginning, to bounce ideas off of and collaborate. I really enjoy that still about my current practice because there are so many opportunities to learn from one another and form great relationships. However, this is another it depends situation and is, is really up to the individual and just what you prefer in a practice. Next, consider theoretical orientation of the practice. Does this practice have a specific orientation that it practices by? And if it does, is there an opportunity to try other techniques and orientations? Do you personally feel drawn to a particular theoretical orientation and want to find a practice that only practices from this? These are all huge considerations in order to find the best practice for you. Personally, I found that in grad school, I was most drawn to CBT, and the practice that I found that I still work for now is actually CBT-focused, but there are a lot of opportunities to pull from other orientations and to learn from other clinicians who practice from different theoretical orientations. Here are some things to explore in terms of supervision. First off, is there someone there who has completed the required supervision training? And has that person supervised previously? Everyone needs to start somewhere, but this is definitely something to consider if you want a more seasoned supervisor or if you are okay with someone who is pretty new at supervising. And as I mentioned before, will you need to look for an outside supervisor or will you be paid or will you need to pay for supervision yourself? And similar to the practice itself, does the supervisor work from a specific theoretical orientation? This can definitely affect your supervision and what kind of supervision you get from this practice. Also, what type of supervision does this practice provide? Different types of supervision include active, passive, triadic, individual, or group. Passive means more hands-off and active is more hands-on, which usually includes educational components to supervision. Some practices may only provide individual supervision, but some allow you to experience triadic or group as well. Another thing to consider is if the supervision is scheduled weekly or if you will need to reach out to the supervisor to have your supervision. And going off of that, how available is the supervisor? And if your supervisor is not available, is there someone else there who can step in? 
I personally love how my practice, I have a mix of group and individual supervision and sometimes triadic. There are multiple people who are certified supervisors, so there are others to help if needed, and it is a very collaborative environment. This, I would say, is the ideal supervision situation for me. And logistics is the fifth and final consideration, which includes all those little details and little items that you may not think about, but are super important. And so here is just a short list of those. As I mentioned previously, is there a minimum or a maximum number of hours that you need to or can work per week? And how much flexibility do you have with your hours or the structure of your days? With some practices, you may have more or less flexibility compared to others. And this really depends on your needs, but also, of course, the practice's needs. Another crucial component to remember is to be aware of your boundaries. You may not know your boundaries at first, but do some test runs and figure out how many clients per day and per week is healthy and sustainable for you. You are a new therapist, but it is necessary to maintain your boundaries in order to prevent burnout. Take the first few weeks or months of working at your practice to figure this out and see what is best for you. And another logistical detail is, will you be working virtually or in person? What is your preference with that? In this new world of Zoom, there may be an option to do hybrid work, and some clients may actually prefer or request Zoom sessions. So you may need to be willing to work in person and over Zoom, just depending on the practice. When you are looking at a practice, ask questions about office space. Ask, will the offices be shared or will you have your own office? And as I said previously, will you have to contribute to any furniture or office supplies? Also, how do you get referrals in the practice? Something absolutely amazing about the practice where I'm working now is that there is no shortage of referrals. My supervisor gets referrals since the practice is very well established and she gives the referrals to us. In some practices, you may need to market yourself and find your own clients. This seems to be very difficult and it can cause you to have a slow start in order to get a full caseload, but it is also great practice in marketing and it gives you so much experience. In a practice where you get referrals directly from your supervisor, you may build your caseload faster. Finally, opportunities. Make sure that there are opportunities for personal and clinical growth in developing yourself as a new therapist. See if there are other opportunities as well, such as writing blog posts or creating a newsletter for the practice or marketing on social media, doing research, or maybe even publishing. You may also have a chance to network at schools or with other practices and others in the field. This is a great way to network and also just to share what your practice does with people in the community. As I mentioned before, another huge opportunity is to have creativity in sessions. Creativity in sessions allows you to develop yourself as a therapist and engage clients 
and also figure out new techniques in order to help people in this field. These are just a few logistical considerations based on my experience, but there are many more to acknowledge. Therapy grad school is hard. Figuring out the law and ethics exam and AMFT number is hard. And looking for your first job is hard. However, with effort, passion, and covering your bases, it will all come together. I hope this episode was helpful in figuring out where to start post-grad school and as an associate therapist. We all go into this field for a purpose, and even if you are feeling lost now, you will find your way. Remember to maintain boundaries and know your worth as a mental health professional. You got this. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you soon.